The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we made it, baby. It is the final week of the NBA season. Can you believe it? And there is still chaos in the streets of the Western Conference. We're going to break down that as well as all the news that's fit to use for you, ranging to a recap of the playoff situation to LeBron opening up a Starbucks to an appreciation of our man Walker Kessler, the new white Rudy Gobert, and lots in between. So, Nick, do me a favor. Drop that generic-ass royalty-free. Should be Rihanna Aspie. I know we just did a playoff picture uh, on the Western Conference last week, but that's how much it changes. Uh, so if you're not pulling up the NBA standings on a day-to-day basis and you don't uh, are not aware of how the tiebreakers work, what games are coming up, let me help you out. we got to continue to go through it because right now there is a wildly tight race for the five and six spot in the West that is between the Clippers, Lakers, and the Warriors. One of those three teams will be in the play-in. If you recall, these are the two spots above the play-in tournament and the ones that guarantees you a winnable best-of-seven series against the three and the four seeds. Got it? With just a handful of games to go, we have no clarity. Zero. Warriors currently tumbling down the standings. Man, they suck right now, our dubs. What is going on? They threw up all over themselves on Sunday against Denver without Jokic. They were giving you that game. They gave it to you. And what did you do? You found a way to Dennis Schroeder it. Fumble the bag, baby. Fumble the bag. Could not muster up the strength to win a game that was given to you like the championship caliber team that you're supposed to be. Clay blew two open looks in the final five seconds to win the game against the Nuggets. And now they pretty much got to win every single game left in order to avoid that playing spot. Lakers somehow, someway control their fate. They have an equal amount of losses as the Clippers and the Warriors, but one less game played. So Wednesday, 
which is today, is a collision. Well, it should be today, and we're recording this Monday. But it is today for you is a collision course between the Clippers and the Lakers at the Crypt. Winner, 100% makes the top six, 100% with just a couple of games to go. Loser potentially drops into the play-in tournament, although given how bad the Warriors have been and their schedule and how many games are left, probably not as likely. Very confusing in these streets. Here's what we know. Lakers currently hold the tiebreak over the Warriors. The Clippers currently hold the tiebreak over the Lakers. The Wolves, why are they involved? I don't know. They hold the tiebreaker over the Lakers, but then what do they do? They suffer the worst loss in 30 years. That was the largest line, the largest favorite that we have seen since 1992, 1993. They were 19.5-point favorites at the crib to my egregiously tanking Portland Trailblazers, where, again, they are load-managing Trendon Watford. And you know what? Somehow found a way to lose that game. Which means that if the Warriors, Clippers, and Lakers all finish 43-39, and 39, which, given how many games are left to go, the pl- teams that they play against, that kind of is what it looks like. That would mean that the Clippers would get the five spot. The Lakers would get the sixth spot, and the Warriors would, our dubs, would be in the playing tournament at seven. In fact, given the fact that the Clippers play the Lakers, the Warriors must win every single game that they have left to avoid the inevitability of finishing in the seventh spot. Unless the Lakers were to do something like lose twice to the Utah Jazz, who are also egregiously tanking, which I don't think is going to happen. But listen, look at the Wolves. Anything's possible. So damn complicated. And technically, the Suns, who are currently locked up on the four spot, not mathematically at this very second, but really it is. There's four games left. They're four games behind the Kings. They decide who is the five seed because they play the Lakers and the Clippers before this whole thing ends. They could either sit out stars, let that team beat them, or that they could treat that that game as a playoff game like against the Lakers. If I'm the Suns, I do not want to play the Lakers in the first round. No shot. I would much prefer to play the Clippers without Paul George. Let Kawhi and Nick Batum do their very best. See how that thing shakes up. Here's another little wrinkle in the playoff picture. The Dallas Mavericks must be listening to the heat check because after their dismal overtime loss to the Atlanta Hawks where JaVale McGee had two free throws at the end of the game in order to win it, decides to only make one free throw, and they go to overtime, they lose to the Atlanta Hawks, who are awful. They are now down to the 11th spot in the West, and rumor has it they are going to shut down Luka and shut down Kyrie for the rest of the year, trying to get a top-10 spot in the NBA draft and deciding they are going to take themselves out of playoff consideration altogether. That in the West only impacts the Kings, who only need one more game to win in order for them to win the division and seal up the three spot. My ideal matchup, my ideal ratings matchup, 1-8, I want to see Denver play the Pelicans. So you've got Zion versus Jokic. That's a fascinating matchup. You've got Brandon Ingram against Michael Porter Jr., Amazing. You've got Jamal Murray against C.J. McCollum. You've got Aaron Gordon being defended by skinny-ass, rangy, amazing defender Herb Jones. Fun matchup. Fun. Watch out, Nuggets. 2-7, Warriors-Grizzlies. Oh, my God. Oh, my. I need it. 
I need it so bad. Jaw and Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson, chirping Clay, chirping. I mean, the energy, the emotion, the aggression, that is top-tier first-round matchup. Top-tier. Clippers versus the Kings, 3-6. I mean, I just want that. I just want it personally. I want to go down to LAC, uh, the crypt, without worrying about the Kings having to face the Lakers. It's a good matchup. They have no Paul George. It's the Kings' best shot in order to win a first-round series and continue to advance. And then 4-5, Suns-Lakers. Oh, boy. Fireworks. LeBron James against Chris Paul. Banana Boat Brothers facing off against one another. Anthony Davis trying to sun DeAndre Ayton. Kevin Durant now in the mix. Do you remember the last time these two teams played? Anthony Davis sprained his ankle. LeBron James got hurt, and the Suns advanced, and then ended up in the finals. This is it, folks. Oh, my God. This is the best stretch of final regular season games we've ever had. In life. In life. Because the play-in tournament. That's why. I didn't like it at first, but I tell you what. It does make this very intriguing. And out east, a lot more clarity, a lot more boredom. Let's be honest. Not much things that are fun going out in the East. The one thing that we know for sure is that the Knicks are going to play the Cavs in the first round. Incredible matchup. One, two, three seeds. Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, they don't care who they play. Doesn't really matter. You could play, uh, I don't know, Heat. You could play the Raptors. You could play the Hawks. You could play the Bulls. Who cares? None of them pose any real threats to them in the first round. We know those three teams are going to advance further. Doesn't matter. Zero drama. And the Nets aren't going to beat the Sixers unless Embiid goes down. So, zero drama. Who makes it out of the plane in the East? Do I care? No. I give zero fucks. Why? Because they're all trash vomit. Some really sad news out of Utah. Apparently, they are, uh, Jazz are reportedly shutting down rookie center Walker Kessler. Nobody saw that coming. But there are legit people out there whose business it is to write about the NBA believe that the Utah Jazz won the Rudy Gobert trade, not just because of the bonkers amount of first-round picks that they landed from Minnesota or the young players that they got, but because Kessler, they believe, is already better or as good as Rudy at one-tenth of the price. People are legitimately saying that they would not trade Walker Kessler for Rudy Gobert straight up right now. That's how much of a fleecing Danny Ainge put on our man Tim Connolly. Shame, Tim Connolly. Shame. Probably should not surprise anyone. He was a beast at Auburn, seven feet one, seven foot five wingspan, nine nine feet five inches standing reach reach. That's ridiculous. He had one of the highest block rates in college basketball history. Ten blocks per hundred possessions. Jesus Christ. That seems like a made up stat. That's a Kenyon Martin stat. It is not. I promise you, it is not a fake stat. Some scouts thought that this was the steal of the draft considering his stats, his size, his upside. And the wild thing, he did not lose a step converting to the NBA in Utah. His 72% field goal percentage this year is the best in the NBA. He won't win the title because he's a few shots short of the minimum amount of shots to the quality and one of the highest ever by a rookie. He's also averaging an incredible 2.3 blocks per game on 23 minutes per night. Let me say that again. Walker Kessler currently averaging 2.3 blocks per game 
on only 23 minutes per night. Last 12 games, he averaged 13, 10, and 2 with three blocks and less than one turnover in 28 minutes of playtime. So, pretty damn good, I'd say. Not really fair to call Walker Kessler a replacement for Gobert because they do different things. But in reality, oh my God, he's just so much cheaper for a center and thus so much more valuable to a team that's rebuilding than Rudy Gobert could ever be. Honestly, keeping Rudy Gobert would have been bad for the Utah Jazz. You don't want to build around him, all these young guys, and him making $40-plus million a year. No shot. What Danny Ainge and Will Hardy have accomplished in Utah in their very first year, I think is going to go down as one of the more remarkable transformations in many years. The Utah Jazz were filled with oldies, guys who could not play defense, no athletes outside of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who, by the way, hated each other, and both were making 30 plus million dollars per year and they had no real ability to get out from under that and now all of a sudden they have this quote-unquote conscious decision to tank and they've got young guys like O'Shea Baji and Laurie Markinen and Walker Kessler and 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 a bajillion draft picks do not forget blocker Kessler that's what we're calling him now blocker Kessler, who is going to be swatting shots in Salt Lake City for a long time, even though he is shut down for the next three games because, let's be honest, Utah was always going to avoid being in the play-in tournament or the playoffs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, boy, so I love the coaching carousel. It's one of my favorite things about the NBA is uh, really that kind of level of chaos and happening before the carnival is even over yet. I'm not talking about Ime Udoka rumors to Houston either, which have him linked to Houston for the last couple of weeks. I am talking about one of the most respected names in the NBA, widely considered a top-five coach in the league, and one of the best coaches in in history probably what he did for the 2019 Toronto Raptors with Kawhi Leonard pretty remarkable Nick Nurse this was a little bit of a shit show of a year we interviewed him before the season started it was a lot of hearts and flowers well, everybody thought this team was going to be pretty good Pascal Siakam had a career year OG Ananobi was really good Fred Van Fleet was really good yeah Gary Trent Jr. not so much but listen did anybody think that there would be this much dysfunction 
to the point where people are starting to check in on Nick's status for the following few years while he's sitting there under contract? No. No. It went off the rails really before it ever started. So they had a weak start. You had injuries to Pascal Siakam. You had injuries to Scotty Barnes. You had injuries to OG Ananobi. And that pretty much set them back, and they've been scrambling ever since, hovering around the 500 mark. As the struggles deepened, grumblings about unhappy players started to arise, make their way out of Toronto, which is a very hush-hush organization, by the way. So when rumors start to get out, you know it's not good. OG Ananobi, Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, even Scotty Barnes at times seemed to have tuned Nick Nurse out after bad loss, after bad loss, started to stack up. And also, what was going on at the trade deadline? Every player was rumored to be on the chopping block. And for the first time ever, after trading no one and trading for Jakob Bertel, Nick Nurse may possibly be on the hot seat. Which some of these NBA insiders have predicted since the offseason. I might imagine shout out to Jake Fisher, who did see this coming. For the first time in Nick Nurse's career as an NBA head coach, he's had to address these rumors. Let's just say, after hearing what he said last night, I'm not so sure he's going to be around there for long. Here's what he said. I think when this season gets done, um, you know, we'll evaluate everything. And and even personally, like, I'm going to take a few weeks to to see where I'm at, you know, like you said, where's my head at, and just see how the relationship with the organization is and everything. It's been 10 years for me now, which is a pretty good run. Right now, my head is to get this and make this as long a season as possible. This this team needs playoff experience, right? So um, that is where I'm at right now. more about that, that you, for whatever the reason, you might not be back this year? No, I, th- I think that I'm concentrated on this this job for sure and this game, essentially. But I think that having 10 years is a good time to sit back and reflect a little bit, right? So I think that's where we're going. We'll do that all when the season ends. Oh, boy. Doesn't it sound like there's a possibility? When, when you hear someone say 10 years is a good time to sit back and reflect – uh, they're already reflecting, baby. They are already starting to get their uh, tickets to Cancun or Cabo or wherever they're going to do. Some thinking, some deep thought, maybe a monastery in Quebec. I don't know. He has one year left on his deal. Has not been offered an extension yet that we know about. And, damn, it looks like his five years as Dwayne Casey's assistant and five years as head coach in Toronto just might be coming to a close. Eric Kareen of The Athletic summed it up best when he wrote this. In no way is Nurse the primary problem with the Raptors. However, when a coach calls out his team effort and energy as many times as he has this year and the results continue to be fairly poor, it's clear something is wrong. Really, many things are wrong. Barring a surprisingly positive end to this Raptor season, a coaching change seems more likely than not. God damn. Sheesh. I love some Nick Nurse. I do. He's one of my all-time favorite coaches and people in the league. Very insightful 
as you can see, even from his interview, very thoughtful. People have linked him to Houston. But I tell you what, if you don't want a coach in Toronto because young guys are doing dumb shit and they're tuning you out, I promise you, <laughs> you don't have the energy for Houston, my guy. No, you don't. You don't have any. We talk about bad roads, six-lane highways, back-to-back traffic. You go from Toronto, Canada, one of the most progressive cities in the NBA, to a full-blown red state with crazy traffic and young guys who just want to chuck all day like AAU players? Fuck no. Absolutely fucking not. One thing is for sure. If he wants to coach, he can coach. He's not going to be out, out of a job for long. Probably would win another chip again. Just not in Toronto, baby. Just not in Toronto. Oh, let's move on to LeBron James. This is a cute story. This is really sweet. I saw this and I said, we got to talk about this on the show. LeBron James just opened a Starbucks. That's not really news in itself. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he has lots of businesses. I think he owns a Blaze Pizza in Los Angeles as well. He has a ton of fingers and a ton of businesses, most of them uh, pretty damn successful. So why is this Starbucks story news? Because he opened it in Akron, Ohio, his hometown. And not only did he open the Starbucks in Akron, it's being opened in a part of town where Starbucks never, ever, ever opened. The hood. You ever, see, you ever go to the hood and see a Starbucks? You ever go to the hood and see a Whole Foods? Fuck no. That's kind of like the correlating factor. No Starbucks around? Get out. Move on. Like if you're a newcomer or you're a tourist, don't be in that neighborhood. This is not a suburb. It's not a gentrified part of downtown. It is across the street from two boarded up buildings. So why did LeBron James open it here? If you have to ask, you probably don't know LeBron James well enough. The simple answer is because LeBron James wants to transform his hometown. The, the truth is, the simple answer is that he loves his hometown and he wants to build. The more complex answer is because LeBron James thinks that these people deserve a Starbucks. <laughs> I'm not going to make fun of the fact that it's like a very YT <laughs> like piece of luxury. <laughs> <laughs> like there's more important things probably to open up in in, a, in the hood. I remember I did a piece in Atlanta, and they said, uh, and I, I'm not banging on LeBron James for doing this. I think it's great, and we're get, we'll get to it. But there's a side road I didn't anticipate. I remember I did a piece in Atlanta about uh, gentrification near the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and they said when when white people give their advice on how we fix our neighborhood, they always say a coffee shop. <laughs> and really what we need is a laundromat and like a place where you can get money to be loaned until your next paycheck. So I do think it's like a little funny. Anyway, that's just a side. That's just honestly a side note because there's more to it than the Starbucks. More importantly, it's two blocks down from where the I Promise School was that he opened, which if you don't know about that, we've done pieces on it. It's incredible. Job training, school training, for, job training for the parents of the kids who go to the school. But there are 46 workers there not being paid just an hourly salary, but at this Starbucks also earning valuable job training certificates for the hospitality industry. So it's basically like a vo vocational technical credit for working at Starbucks. Who doesn't want to be a barista? 
Get the fuck out of the hood. Just go to another Starbucks <laughs> somewhere else. Anyway, typical LeBron James. Not looking to just create jobs, but also create careers. You can make fun of him for his corny takes. You can make fun of him for lying incessantly about things that are very easy to disprove. But I don't know if anyone in the league does more good with his money than LeBron. The building that houses this Starbucks is also going to become a complex by 2024, containing a sports bar, a wine room, even a LeBron James museum, with a full-size recreation of his Spring Hill apartment 602 where he grew up in Akron with his mom. It's going to have an ice cream shop, a clothing store, and a concert venue. And of course, because LeBron James loves himself some Taco Tuesdays, there's always also going to be a taco shop only open on Tuesdays. Just kidding. Um, this is not groundbreaking news, especially, uh, you know, for people who see these sort of developments go up. But it is pretty groundbreaking if you live in Akron. These sort of multi-use places being built in a neighborhood that's not really being shepherded or invested in is going to create long-lasting change. LeBron James did this in parts of downtown Cleveland when he was a, a, a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Multiple juice bars that he opened. More white, more white tea things, really. Fitness studios. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. Uh, lots of players talk about giving back, which to most players means just hosting a basketball camp, giving away some T-shirts, giving away some shoes. But he is literally rebuilding his town. Brick by brick. I would not be surprised if LeBron James opened up the LeBron James Apartments. LeBron James Apartment Complex. LeBron James already has a school. He's got a Starbucks. He's got an ice cream store. He's got a taco shop. We're going to keep an eye on this. One day down the road, I'm going to have to come visit. All right, let's move on to something that's not really news, but I want to talk about it anyway. Who, if you had to guess, is the least popular NBA coach of all time? If... You give an answer to anyone other than George Carl, you are wrong. He has probably the most disliked coach in NBA history. That's not a hyperbole. That is fact. Do not take my word for it. Ask our guy, J.R. Smith. This is what he had to say about his time playing in Denver. He said, how do I put this? George Carl wasn't, uh, wasn't the coach I thought he was. When I first got there, I'm thinking he's a player's coach. I didn't even know him. By the time I was gone, I was like, if I never see this dude again, I am good. There are certain people you vibe with and certain people you don't. I get that. But then there are certain people who just throw salt into the pot just because they want to. You know what I'm saying? Just to see what the outcome is. I don't like stuff like that. I feel a lot of what DeMarcus and a lot of other players are saying. He's not the easiest person to deal with. There's many players other than J.R. Smith that have decided to come over the top rope on George Carl. DeMarcus Cousins, of course, long-running beef with George Carl. He tweeted out in response to Cousins taking shots at the Kings organization by asking what DeMarcus Cousins ever did for them. They paid you $50 million and gave you the opportunity to play professional basketball. Sir, George Carl, do you know that that? DeMarcus Cousins at one point was one of the most dominant big men in the game. Everyone wanted DeMarcus Cousins. They didn't give him an opportunity to play fucking basketball. I hate to tell you, George Carl, a whole lot of other teams would have been happy to pay Boogie Cousins as well. Don't act like Sacramento did some sort of favor to DeMarcus Cousins. He had 
seven coaches in seven years there. And, of course, DeMarcus Cousins, who is great. I love him. Boogie. He tweeted a snake emoji as his description of George Carl. So he seems to be beefing with everyone, George Carl. He said also, Doc Rivers, we talked about this before two weeks ago, that Doc Rivers had been anointed as a black coach. And now there's going to be four or five more anointments of the young Afro-American coach. Don't say Afro-American. Please don't. That's cringe. Don't do that. As if that's some sort of bad thing for coaches, uh, I don't know, to represent the, the players, the, the labor base they have that's largely black and brown. I don't know. It seems like former players kind of make sense to me. You know? He also took a lot of unnecessary shots at Nuggets players. He, uh, whatever for whatever reason, decided to, to say that Kenyon Martin had all that money and no father. It's fucked up. Carmelo's dad died when he was two years old. Kenyon was raised by his mom and sister, and he says that those two are his father figures. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Kenyon Martin, you already know he's not about this. He said he was an awful and coward-ass coach, a terrible person, selfish, unhappy, miserable, the worst coach that he ever played for. Jesus. I met Kenyon Martin in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago, and let me say, that is probably the censored version of what he would say behind George Carl's back without the media there to take note and to record it. The list of former players who have zero good things to say about George Carl, the list is long. Uh, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Chauncey Billups, numerous others. And George Carl still, for some reason, still tweeting about current players like John Morant. 1950s takes on John Morant, if you know, you know. When you make a list of most or least popular NBA coaches, George Carl is literally the Khaleesi of, of that list. No one is as unpopular as him. Not, not, not a chance, and I don't think anybody will ever make that list. Also, fun fact, George Carl accidentally spit on me in a uh, basketball clinic. I was sitting front row, and he just loogied all over me and didn't say a goddamn word. So I personally don't like George Carl either. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We have an update on Andrew Wiggins. I uh, I avoided discussing the situation in detail uh, because it's a personal matter and I didn't want to get into it. I did a TikTok. There was a bunch of rumors about what happened with him and his girlfriend. There was a bunch of floating rumors circulating that were bullshit. Even Andrew Wiggins' girlfriend was responding to my TikTok videos, which was wild, uh, saying that these were 100% false. I'm not even going to mention what the rumors are. Anyway, now we kind of have a, an honest update on what's happening with Wiggins. He's now back with the team. We even got a, this is the bomb. This is the sound of the Woj bomb on it. Golden State Warriors all-star forward Andrew Wiggins is nearing a return to the team and is expecting to be back this week. 
Wiggins has missed 21 games attending to a family member matter. Excuse me. Huge boost for the defending champions and the sixth seed in the West. This was followed by the first bits of real information about why Wiggins has missed the past 25 games. What was the personal matter? According to Shams, who always gives us more information than Woj, Andrew Wiggins' father is currently dealing with a serious medical condition, and Andrew Wiggins plans to attend Warriors Thunder on Tuesday. The reason for Wiggins' leave of absence since mid-February is his father, Mitchell Wiggins, has been dealing with a serious medical uh, condition, situation, sources close to the situation say. It's rumored that Andrew Wiggins will be back before the play-in tournament, which the Warriors inevitably will be in. That's a kind of a tune-up for Andrew Wiggins, actually, a play-in game. Maybe it's actually better for them. Um, and the dubs need him more. Our dubs need him. Probably more than they ever have before, let's be honest. Big prayers up for Wiggs, his pop, his entire family. It is great uh, to have you back. Let's move on. We got to talk about this women's uh, Final Four championship game really quickly, because... The game was incredible. My mom was texting me every other second. She had so many thoughts about Angel Reese and Alexis Morris and Caitlin Clark. She was just breaking down their game, talking about how incredible the post play was. The game, let's be honest, wasn't nearly as fun probably as it should have been because of the refs. The refs fucked everything up. They put Caitlin Clark into foul trouble. They put Angel Reese into foul trouble. They put Alexis Morris into foul trouble. They put... Uh, Cezano, Monica Cezano in foul trouble. It was probably the worst ref game I've ever seen in my life. And it was trending on Twitter, of course. It's anytime you have you know, tr- trending the refs on Twitter, that's never good, right? Um, but really, it was the, the aftermath of it that I want to talk about for a few minutes. Specifically, the re- reaction to Angel Reese and her trash talking. I love Angel Reese. I do. I did my fair share of trash talking on the court. I did my fair share of trash talking when the game was over on the court. Nothing would stop me from coming to someone who was anointed as the future of college basketball if I slayed her and I got to tell her, yo, you forgot about the Tigers. I love how many eyeballs were on the game. I think 5.5 million for the Iowa-South Carolina semifinal alone, which is twice as many viewers as any NBA game on ESPN this year. But here's the thing. I understand that Angel Reese was, quote-unquote, taunting Caitlin Clark. Makes sense. She came right up into her face. Did the ring. Did the can't see me, John Cena. But let's be real. If the tables were turned and Caitlin Clark did that, to Angel Reese's face, same way, would people have called Caitlin Clark a classless piece of shit? The answer is, think about it in your head. Do not immediately say yes, because if you immediately say yes, you're lying. You're lying. People who are willing to go on the record and tweet out that any 20-year-old kid in the height of their most important moment of their basketball career, is a piece of shit, needs to look at themselves in the mirror and say, I am out of pocket. There is a lot going on there. There is a racial undertone to the entire women's basketball tournament. Could not be more whiter, blacker, 
matchup than Iowa versus Louisiana State. Look at the rosters. And I like that Angel Reese said, I am unapologetically myself. I do not care if you think that I am hood. I do not care if you think that I am not the typical player. Uh, I am going to do me, and they need to put some respect on my name. So that's really it. Uh, I'm excited that people are interested in women's basketball. Next year, let's stop saying anything out of pocket about kids. Let's just, let's just not. Maybe you think that it was a classless move, but don't call her personally classless. Maybe you think it was shitty in how she did it. Don't call her a piece of shit. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Let's concentrate on what's good. Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, Haley Van Lith, Zaya Cook. By the way, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, both juniors. Whew, we're going to get some more of this, baby. We are going to get a little Phil Knight Invitational November 25th, 2023 in Portland, Oregon, another white city. Uh... And I bet they played one another. First game of the PKI. Women's basketball is blowing up. I love it. I'm here for it. But don't be a bad person uh, when you're commenting on the game. That's all the time that we have for the episode of the Heat Check. Check back Monday. Don't forget to check the feed for past episodes, interviews, bonus episodes. Please follow us on the Heat Check. The playoffs are here, people. Download, subscribe, tell your friends. Tell every damn one of them. Follow us on social at this Heat Check. And just a click on TikTok. Because the Heat Check never sleeps, even when my voice is going from my throat. 